our reading verses 1 through 10. I would like to highlight a reading from the New Living Translation to look at verse 6. New Living Translation reads this way, but he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. Praise God for his word. You may see as you take your seat, help me announce the subject matter to your neighbor. What is your pleasure? Amen, amen. What is your pleasure? Looking at this text, I want to highlight that it says that what is causing quarrels, fights among you? It says, don't they come from the evil desire that is within you? This does sound familiar to us. When this letter James writes, he says, where does temptation come from? Temptation comes from your own evil desire. It's interesting here that he's emphasizing this one more time to them that what is going on is because of yourself. My question again, subject matter of this sermon is what is your pleasure? Because if your pleasure is yourself, you're going to do all that you can to please yourself. But the problem is that if you're pleasing yourself, are you pleasing God? It makes it very clear that you cannot please yourself and please God. It, it won't work out. Tell your neighbor it won't work out. Because my pleasure will go against God. You see that right there in the text? That is enmity with God is making me an enemy with God. If I'm trying to please myself, all I am doing is causing a wedge between my relationship with God. My question again, what's your pleasure? Is your pleasure to satisfy all your lustful needs in this world? That you find out that you start loving the world more than you love God. You can't love God and love this world. It can't be done. First John, second child, verse 15 says this. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. Christians should be of their father and therefore live for him. So if my love for this world is conflicting with my relationship with God, something's got to go. Think about things that distract you. If you're driving, anybody here, when you get in your car and somebody else drove your car, don't you have to fix it up? So that you can drive, you have to adjust your mirror. You pull your seat to the spots you want your seat. You put the radio on to what you want the radio on, or you put your favorite music in. You have everything set up so that when you're driving, it's right where you want it to be, so there won't be any distractions. They, if some people hang stuff on their rearview mirror. Some of you can drive that way. Some people can't drive that, so they got to take the stuff off the rearview mirror so they don't have any obstructions, anything distracting them. Even so much so the government is about to pass the law that you can't talk and drive on your phone unless you have a hands-free device. They're trying to eliminate distractions that's going to hinder you from doing what you're trying to do. 
We hear all the stories about how people should not text and drive. It's giving you all kind of things that will cause conflict and hurt you and hinder you. But yet when it comes to serving God, we have no problem trying to satisfy our own need and still trying to serve God. We want to justify saying God wants me to do this, but we didn't ask God if God wants you to do it in the first place. We must please God first. This flesh is at war against the spirit. Paul shows us in Romans 7, 21 to 25, says, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully conquer with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other hand, my flesh, the law of sin. He says that I'm waging war against the law of my mind and my members. You can understand that why James says that it's your lust fighting against your member, fighting against your body. We have to be mindful that if we are truthful with ourselves, when we wake up in the morning, we, we have to decide, do I want to go where I'm about to go? Because oftentimes, if you be truthful to the matter, you don't feel like going. You don't feel like going to work. You don't feel like going to school. If many of you tell the truth, you didn't feel like coming to church this morning. But because it was not based on what you feel, but it was based on your commitment and your desire to complete what is set forth behind. You said, I'm going to push through and make it anyway. Because some of you might be able to say that I haven't never had a sick day at my job because it's not that you've never been ill or sick. But in the times that you could have called in, you decided, nope, I'm going to go in anyway. These are the commitments that we have to make to realize that am I trying to gratify myself or am I willing to push through the trials and the tribulations and the struggle of this flesh? Because truth to the matter is the flesh every day wants you to stay in that bed. Because if the flesh keeps you staying in that bed, that means you have no opportunity to work for the kingdom of God, but you got every opportunity to become lazy. And the enemy loves lazy. It's right there in Proverbs telling that a fool is lazy. It says, how long, O slugger, will you slumber? A little bit of folding of the hand, a little commentary. And, and it says, you quickly come to disaster. Laziness, slothfulness. We can see a lot of things can sneak in to keep us from having our commitment with God because I desire to rest. That's why we like that snooze button. There's things in our lives we realize that if we do not check them, they will keep us away from where we want to be. God is making it clear to us that you should not desire personal pleasures more than you desire to be with me. So we need to surrender to the spirit of God. This lustful pleasures unchecked will cause damage in our lives. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight. And quarrel. You do not have because you do not 
ask. And when you do ask, you ask amiss with wrong pleasure because you're not concerned about how it's going to be a blessing to somebody else. That you are only concerned what are you going to get out of it and how it will be a benefit to you. Which goes back that when you don't get it, you're willing to fight over it. Think about why many of us get into arguments and fights. It's not because of what's right, because we want what's right for ourselves. The Bible's making clear to us that we are fighting amongst each other. And look how this, this letter, this letter is written to who? To the Jews, the church, dispersed throughout. So it's pointing out that, yes, even in the church, there's people fighting. Y'all quiet on me. And it's showing that even in the church, they're fighting and they're fighting not for God's kingdom, but they're fighting for selfish motives. And the issue is that what's causing them is that they're fighting for what they want, not what God wants. Think about how you come into the church and you feel worse than when you came in. That's not a good situation. I was reading in a study, it says that this, this, these children were outside playing, fighting one another, and they come up to them and saying, you know, these children, why are y'all fighting going on? It says, don't worry about it, we're just playing what happened in church. That's a sad state that when they see an oppression of church is what's going on. And many of us, y'all quiet on me, but many of us know about something like that that happened right here in our backyard. That if some kids want to play church, they're going to play people fighting with one another. Y'all quiet on me. Y'all, y'all can check the history. Y'all can look at Ed Jet Magazine, the National Enquirer. It was on national news. People fighting in the church. And if that's... What we are telling people to come to church to see fights and quarrels and dissension, we are being horrible witnesses of God. And then when we get to the root of the matter, we're all saying we're doing it for the right reason. But we got to check ourselves and say, God, is it right with you? These lustful pleasures unchecked is only going to damage ourselves and others. Then this kind of might be hard to swallow. It says they commit murders, but yet if you think and look clearly that Paul himself was a zealot, he committed murders for what he was passionate for. So it might be suggested that there might be a blemish to this church, that they were committing murders out of passionate and out of lust, or it might be symbolic or metaphorical that because of their hatred towards somebody, they're killing them because they're not loving them as a word of God. But if it is literal, we have some literal people claim to be Christians that go bombing facilities. That's not Christ. And so when people question us and come to us, say, is God, we can let them know clearly that no, God is not for that. Y'all quiet on me. We live in a corrupt world that wants to change its own perspective to be God. But can I clarify to make sure we all are on the same agreement that there's only one God? And since there's only one God, there's only one one who is right. And he is right. He will remain right. He will stay right even till the we pass away. His truth will still remain. So I think it will be best for us to go with what he says. And now what we say. So in this process, we see here that our God, our God is calling us to faithfulness. Look what it says. That we ask amiss. We're passionate for what we want. 
We're zealous for our own motives, and these are all wrong. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with what? Wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your own pleasure. When we satisfy our own pleasure, know what that leads to? Unfaithfulness. You see it right there in the text, right? You adulterous. You unfaithful. This grabs us to the text that think about how God many times has talked to the children of Israel, called them an adulterous nation. Now, this term here definitely says adulterous is feminine. So it may be feminine, maybe it's me as a woman, as a prostitute. But yet you say, well, that's not addressing men. Yes, it is. Because do you not understand the church, the body of Christ is the bride? Y'all quiet on me. The church is the bride of God. And so when we give our love to somebody else, we are being unfaithful to our God. He says he's looking for a church, a bride without a spot, without a wrinkle, without a blemish. He is coming. You understand how many times he has used the wedding feast as a symbolic of the kingdom of God. He is looking for us to be pure and unblemished before him, to be a faithful bride. And yet, and yet he finds us unfaithful. And so we got to look and see that, Lord, where did I get caught up trying to please myself and not trying to please you? For example, you you can get caught up that you were supposed to have dinner ready, but you got caught up watching your shows. You got caught up doing what you wanted to do. And then the time came, dinner's late, but you got all the excuses. But you didn't do what you should have done because you got caught up satisfying your own needs. Think about how many times that you got a late homework assignment because your favorite TV show was on that you forgot and lost the time. Or you didn't get an assignment done because you'd rather go to the game instead of work on your project that was due the next day. There's so much in our lives. We start looking at it and realize how we allow pleasure to stop us from accomplishing what we should have got done. I, I, I know that for myself that when it comes springtime, I get a little bit less reading done because of, there's so many baseball games to watch. And so I'm wa- watching these games in the afternoon because y'all know the Cubs don't have too many night games in the afternoon. So uh, I'm watching these games in the afternoon that I, I, I'm not as intent in reading as I am. Well, oh, they got out again. So I have to turn the TV off and say, no, I got to stay focused and I'll cast an update on my phone. Still not focused. Y'all see that? We can, we can make things and think that I'm still, but yet we need to sometimes, we need to shut everything off so that we can spend some quiet time with God and say, Lord, you have my undivided attention. I'm yours. So there's times in my life that I, I have to just move away from where there's any TV, any outlet and just sit down and just read. But it's hard because the flesh wants to do other stuff. There's movies that I want to go watch. But now I start looking at how long these movies are. And I say, if I go watch this movie during the day, that's two hours I could have spent reading. And to, oftentimes, that's two books I could have got done with. Two books. So I'm, I'm wait, I, I, I want to go see the new movie that's out. It looks exciting. But yet God has said, you got a responsibility. What's your responsibility? If we can be true with ourselves, what are the things that you wrestle with that you want to gratify yourself, but it's limit, limiting and hindering you from giving God your best? 
God wants your best. We can fool other people, but God sees us in our quiet time, in our personal time, and he sees us. And then we want God to give us his best when we give him our leftovers. We want God to bless us over and over continuously, but out of seven days in a week, we barely give him one. I said barely give one. I know you're here this morning, but oftentimes if there was a full day, you say don't take all that. But you go to your basketball game, it goes into overtime, you get excited. You take extra innings, you take overtime, you take everything extra, but when it comes to the church and it goes past expected time, watch out somebody. We need to say, God, I'm after what you want, not what I want. Because I, I, if, you, if you have not been aware, let me, let me I don't want to insult you, but please take it the best way you can. Um, it's not about you. And if you have not understand that, I, I want you to open up your Bible and just try to find it where God said it's all about you. And you'll keep on searching because you're going to find out that he said, I made you for my glory. He's going to say, I made you and I created him. He's going to let you know that I am the God and there should be no other gods before me. You should serve no other. You're gonna, it's going to be clear that there should be nobody else before God. So when you look at this, you see how this transitioning comes, looking at verse 6. But he gives even more grace to stand against such evil desires. Oh, glory be to God. I love how the New Living Translation gives us this transition, how these texts, verses 1 through 10, shift right here at verse 6. It talks about everything that's bad with us, how we're all messed up. But come verse 6, he says, look here, I will not leave you helpless, but I will give you grace. Mm. That you can overcome your weaknesses. Anybody here glad that God gives us grace? To overcome our weaknesses, to overcome our faults, to overcome our issues. So look what this grace gives us. First, he gives us grace that we must understand how we must submit. Submit is to obey, to be under the authority of God. I, I, I like how this puts it in perspective that if God is over you, then you will understand. Because if he's over you, you will understand. You will understand that he is over you. As he stands over you, you will understand that he is Lord and you are under him. So therefore, you must submit to him. And so when we submit to him, look, look what happens when you submit. You submit to his authority. You submit to his power. You submit to his love. You submit to his grace. You submit to his mercy. And this also you submit that he's over you. And if God is over you, then look what happens. Then he becomes your pleasure. Because you no longer submit to your will, but to him. And so whatever he likes, you like. Brings us back to that, 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 that the movie. And, and he asks the, this bride-to-be, what do you like? Whatever you like. What music do you like? Whatever music you like. Whatever he liked, she was trained to like. So that she could please him and do what he want. But he was like, I don't want that. I'm leaving. But yet God has made us, check this out, God has made us. Not that we like whatever he likes, but he's going to show us that whatever he likes is good for us. 
You're going to find out that he likes love. You're going to find out, I like love too. You're going to find out he likes justice. You're going to say, I like justice too. You're going to find out he likes mercy. You're going to find out, I like mercy too. Yeah, y'all quiet on me. Let me know if I call something that you don't like, that you don't, you don't agree with. But I guarantee that you're going to be in time of trouble. You're going to want some mercy. You're going to want some justice. You're going to want some love. And that's what God said, I have for you. Will you submit? So when we submit to him, look what happens. We submit to him. Now we're under his covering. We're under his protection. Now we have his power because we submit to him that we're able to resist. Y'all see that there in the text? It says submit to the Lord. Then it says resist the devil. And what will he do? He will flee from you. When it gets to this word resist, it brings us also to the same word that is used in Ephesians 6, chapter verse 13. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. That same word is, is there to, to withstand or to resist. And after you have done everything to stand, it's pointing out to us that when we put on the whole armor of God, we have now the power to withstand to resist the enemy which means that those times those evil thoughts those selfish thoughts come to your mind you can say i got the power of god that i will stand against these evil desires because the weapon we have is not a uh, uh, flesh or, or worldly or carnal but mighty and the power of God able to tear down strongholds and beat them into subjection and to the obedience of Christ. The understanding here when God has given you the power to withstand is this is not just a passive defense, but this is also an aggressive offense. That when you when the army tells you to stand your ground, it means that you will not let the enemy get any quarter and you're going to take everything you can get. Because you want to push the enemy back. That's why Jesus made it clear. That upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. In the olden times, they will oftentimes try to attack the gate to get into the kingdom. But Jesus made it that he can't overcome the kingdom. But we can go and defeat him. You resist him, he will have to flee. He will have to retreat. He will have to go away because why? Greater is he that's with us than he that's in the world with God for us. Who can be against us. So we understand when we walk in his strength, walk in his power, could we submit to him? Then we have the power and the strength to resist the devil. I'm going to highlight this about this resisting the devil that sometimes people want to give cop outs for their temptations to say, you know what I, I fallen for. I, I want you to understand that God has given you the power to overcome that. You don't have to give an excuse. Well, I'm always like that. No, he wants you to change. That as you grow closer and closer to him, you become less and less like the world and more and more like him. Resist the devil. And then not only will you submit to him, then you resist the devil, you will draw near to him. Y'all see that there in the text? To draw near is to approach God, willingly to surrender and seek him. And I love this, that he will, he will what? Draw nigh unto us. There's nothing, there's nothing worse in a relationship when you come near to somebody and they go away. I remember my, my parents have these salt, salt and pepper shakers that you could sit down, the two little lovebirds, you could sit down, they look at each other, puckered up lips, like they like each other, and then you could sit across from each other, look like they don't like each other. 
It was that simple. As soon as they were facing each other, they looked like they were in love. He put them away to like they were upset with one another. How true it is that we can find out how much we love somebody with how we sit next to them. Sit down next to them, don't even look at them. What's the matter? Nothing. You can tell that you don't want to be with me, but God says, you draw nigh unto me. Well, I will draw nigh unto you. You put your hand out. I'm already there. My hand has been there. That's why I like how when the great story we love about Peter walking on water. We love that story. We love that story. And Peter walking on water. All we find out is this, that Peter says, Lord, save me. And we found out he saved. It is saying then Jesus ran over there to get them. It, starts, it makes it very clear that Jesus was already in the position to save him. He was just waiting for Peter to cry out. Y'all, y'all quiet on me. Y'all know he went under, right? And when he cried out, he was saved. But when he went under, he was still going under. But when he cried out, he was saved. And then immediately they get on the boat and they're on dry land. That's God. God sees us and knows what we need. He wants us to draw nigh to him. He makes it available for us to come near to him. And when we come near to him, we start seeing miraculous things happening in our lives. Because look what happens when we draw near to him. We will seek him. We'll be cleansed. Look what happens here. This is the process that comes as we draw near to him. You can't just come to him dirty. Tell you that you can't come to him dirty. But when you, when you draw near, when you humble yourself, you resist the devil, and you come close to God, he will come close to you. You will wash your hands. Mm. Why? Why will I wash my hands? Because I'm a sinner. Which suggests to me that when I come to him, I start realizing that, man, I'm not as clean as I thought I was. I need to clean myself up. I need to have a heart of repentance. I need to say, Lord, forgive me for what I have done. I'm, I'm coming to you. Then as I'm washing my hands and cleansing me of my sin, well, I'm purifying my heart. I, I like a commentator says this. One thing God cannot resist is a broken heart. That's why we like that good old song, creating me a clean heart, oh, Lord. A steadfast spirit. Why? Because I've been broken. <laughs> I've been broken, God. My sin has broken me. And when we've been broken, only God can put us. Back together. And so not only I wash my hands because I'm a sin, I start cleaning my heart. And watch this, watch this. As I clean my heart, my mind starts to become clear. I'm no longer divided. This, this word James used twice. You look a bit earlier in the first chapter or the second chapter, and then here again, it's really having double-minded, trying to serve the world and God. You can't do it. We hear it all the time, right? A, a two-headed creature is a strange thing. We can't have two heads for God. We can't say, I love the world and, and, and I love God. We cannot. Some, some, some ministers say it this way, that people miss, miss, miss God by, by, by the, the measure of the heart to the head, 11 inches. We can't have heart, we can have heart God in our heart, but not in our head. He wants all of us. We got to love him with our heart, our soul, and our mind. The Bible makes it clear that you seek ye God with your whole heart, then you shall find him. Do you understand that you got to seek him with your whole heart and you will find him? God wants us to know him. Deuteronomy 4, 29 says, but from there you will research again the Lord your God. And if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find him. If he's your pleasure, you will seek to do everything that pleases him and do his will. And you will draw near to him. As you draw near to him, you start seeing changes happening in your life. And then look what it says. You'll start You'll stop rejoicing over your sin, but you'll start weeping over it. 
Your laughter will turn into mourning and to gnashing and realizing that, Lord, this is what I am after. Your sorrow will lead to repentance. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will what? Lift you up in honor. When we look at this, what is your pleasure? Is your pleasure is this world? Then right, you, have my, you might have a lot of laughter. You might have a lot of joy. But if you come closer to the Lord, it's going to turn to weeping and gnashing. Because you can think of many people, you can watch many of those sad movies, but you can watch in real history life that when someone is dealing with tragedies in their lives, they start looking over their life and says, I could have done better. If I was more patient, if I was more loving, if I was more caring, they start looking as they get closer to the end of their life. They start looking over says, I could have done better. I want to help you out that you don't have to wait till then. You can start right now. So, Lord, I'm going to do better now. So when I do face the end, I can hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, that my heart will be clear, my mind will be clear, because while I'm drawing near to you, and as I draw near to you, God, I start confessing, I start repenting, I start changing my mind and have a clear heart and a pure heart and giving you the best that I have. And I find out, God, that when I humble myself before you, you will exalt me. You might not put me in a place of position in this world, but this world has nothing that I want, but I do want to have a a place and a position in your kingdom and that's what you have promised because you look at the greatest example is our lord and savior jesus christ he was in the form of god but came in a form of slave he being the master of all came as the servant of all but you look at that great text in philippians second chapter verses six to eleven it says therefore god has highly exalted him but the ex exaltation came after the humiliation many of us want to be exalted but we don't want to be humiliated but we need to remind ourselves let me be a fool for christ let him be my pleasure Many men will find men, will find men in the malls. Many times you'll find them, you can see how long they've been married by if they have a purse with them or not. If they have a purse with them or not, you can see they've been married for some time now. They, they, they're convinced, they're confirmed, they're okay, that they love their wife and they don't care if anybody, man, sees them with their wife's purse. They'll say, my wife is happily shopping and I'm waiting here for her. Thank you very much. You can tell that they are okay with it because they'll do anything for whom they love. What about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Are you willing to put yourself in a position that others might ridicule you? They might talk about you. They might say, that's not cool, but you'll say, it's for my Lord. Because if you look at Jesus, it wasn't cool for him to have a crown of thorns, but he wore it. It wasn't cool for him to get whipped for lies, but he got whipped. But he whipped them because we know he defeated death and they exalted on the third day with all power in his hands. And now seated at the right hand of the father, letting us know that, look, you have nothing to fear. I've overcome the world. So don't let the world beat you down because it can't beat you. What is your pleasure? But if the world is your pleasure, then the world will beat you because the world has nothing to offer you. But if God is your pleasure, you will defeat the world because you will live for eternity. But this world will be destroyed. But he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. So what is your desire? What is your pleasure? If it's him, then you will submit to him. You will resist the devil and you'll draw near to him. 
And when you draw near to him, you'll cleanse your hands. You'll ask for forgiveness. You'll ask for repentance. You'll purify your heart. You'll change your mind. And you'll find out where Romans 12 is true, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. He will what? He will renew, renew your mind. And when you have a renewed mind, your perspective changes, that you start living for him because he's your pleasure. That's your reasonable act of worship. And you'll remove quarrels and arguments and fights. And watch how people will see you change because they'll find that you're getting berated, you're getting yelled at, but you'll say nothing back because you found out how to keep your peace. To realize that, hey, I don't need to fight. I was wrong. I can, be, I can stay here. I can take it. And I can give God the glory. And knowing that he's going to fight my battles. He's going to work it out in the end. What is your pleasure? If it's the Lord, you will draw nigh. You'll submit. And you will resist. And you will have peace. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Lord, we come.